We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I want to tell you about Doing Justice, a new podcast from Cafe Studios. It's about a prosecutor's role in our justice system and is hosted by former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. Wait, I know him. The show asks if we should allow an elected official to run for re-election while under investigation. It follows a sex worker who was robbed and gets her day in court. Preet explores the key elements of cases from the unique perspective of the prosecutors grappling with urgent moral and legal questions. Subscribe to Doing Justice wherever you're listening now. Do you want more Crime Writers On? More of Toby's stories about feuds within a subculture and riveting asides about sports ball. More of Laura's quirky cat escapades and rage-based fitness program. A little peek into Kevin's Irish Catholic feelings box. Or just some advice from Rebecca about toxic relationships and mutual Well, do what I do. Support Crime Writers On by going to patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, TV. And this week, the world knew the Chippendales dancers as those beefcake male strippers who gyrated in front of screaming women. But behind the scenes was a story of backstabbing drugs and actual murder. We'll preview the new podcast, Welcome to Your Fantasy. Then, in 1974, a new three-wheeled car promised to change the automotive industry. But both the car and the high-profile businesswoman running the company were not what they seemed. We'll review the HBO documentary, The Lady and the Dale. Join me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, love of my life, and four-wheeled hunk, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I didn't even have to write that into the script. You just said that. What, that you were a four-wheeled hunk? And the love of your life? You've all four wheels. Oh, four wheels, baby. <laughs> I'm in four-wheel drive. Vroom, vroom. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and actual pet detective, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. I'm here. I'm not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm the Zoom screen. She's ready to proceed. She's got her little cat. She's ready to go forward. Yes. I mean, the most impressive thing about the video was that the guy was ready to go forward, no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) By the way, I don't know as much about Zoom because I've been working kind of just... On my own for the yes, past year. Yes, you can year. put filters on Zoom. Do we have filters right here that we could put on for Not the Prime Not doing it for this podcast. No. Uh, but I mean, just to amuse it. ourselves. Wouldn't Toby look great with a cowboy hat or something? I was oh. like a deer stalker. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Sherlock. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy. The first one, by the way, is called The Vaults, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, you have had a storied career, but also as a Chippendales dancer, too. Should I add that to your intro? <laughs> I, You know, I don't advertise that. I've, I've put that behind me. I've moved on. Okay. All right. Well, as we've heard- It's not just a piece of meat, Rebecca. Sure. We shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't objectify him that way. So, Kevin, before we start the show, we have an announcement to make, right? Yeah. We're going to be recording part of next week's show live as part of a podcast-a-thon to raise money for the Charlie Project. That's an online database of over 14,000 missing persons cases. I was surprised to learn, Rebecca, the government or law enforcement doesn't actually have something like True. that, right? So uh, so this is sort of a, I don't want to say, it's a homegrown project, but it needs some money to keep going. So we will be recording our portion on Saturday, February 20th at 7.30 p.m., it's a live event that people can come it's to. It's a live event that yeah. you can ch- check out online. And it's not just us. You can you can check out on social media for the links, or you can go to cpfundraiser.com. Some of the other podcasts on the lineup include Unjust and Unsolved, uh, True Crime Fan Club, Wine and Crime, and LA Not So Confidential, and a whole bunch more. You can see the whole lineup. But we are going on at 7.30 p.m., and we're going to be talking about... Crime scene. Crime scene. The disappearance at the Cecil Hotel. I want to call it Cecil Hotel, but that's not what it yes, is. Yes, I've already talked to the director, Joe Berlinger. I already know how Toby's going to feel about this documentary. Okay. It's going to be really, really fun. I should also say one of the other people on the lineup for this really caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Can I just give her a shout out? Sure. Rebecca Heath, the amateur right. sleuth slash librarian slash genius who solved the identities of the Bear Brook case uh, victims, three of the four of them, is going to be also featured in this lineup. And she's wonderful. And I'd say we might be like quasi-headliners, but to me, she's the real hero. And that's why I'm super excited to be participating in this event. Right. So cpfundraiser.com. It's free to watch, but you know there's a GoFundMe, so if you can throw in a couple of bucks. Throw them in. Throw it in. All right. You guys ready to start a podcast? Sure. Let's get it done. Leading off. Candace gets a call from one of her colleagues back in New York. She said, Nick's been shot. I said, Nick who? Steve Banerjee was willing to try anything to get his Los Angeles nightclub off the ground. That's when Chippendales flipped the script on exotic dancing, featuring a review of male strippers gyrating in front of packed crowds of screaming women. So why'd you stay? Think about it. All the pussy you could have, all the drugs, if you did drugs, you could have, all the alcohol you could have, all the attention you could have, and money. Why would you want to lose that job? But there was more behind the scenes than fast money and quick sex. The real Chippendale story is filled with backstabbing, drug use, and yes, actual murder. There are grudges that last to this day. Revisionist histories, revenge fantasies, and then there are the very real plots that were carried out. A lot of thoughts run through detectives' heads, you know, yeah. when you see a scene. It almost looked like like a hit. From Pineapple Street Studios, associated with Gimlet, the podcast Welcome to Your Fantasy looks into the sordid details of Chippendale's nonstop party. Host Natalia Petrozala interviews former dancers, investigators, and fans about the show billed as women's liberation, marketed as soft porn, and filled with people who will do almost anything for a buck. 
Spoiler alert, although there's only one episode available now, we are going to be talking about certain plot points from the first three episodes of Welcome to Your Fantasy. There'll be some just very mild spoilers, but if you don't want to hear any of that, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Laura Bricker, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Did you know that Chippendales was to thank for everything that you're allowed to do now, including running for president of the United States? Um, I do now, I guess. I think Chippendales had a lot to do with the sexual revolution. Uh, And now their daughters are able to run for president of the United States and go in spaceships and fly fighter jets. And I'm not so sure Chippendales didn't have a lot to do with it. Wow. Maybe I'm maybe I'm delusional myself, but I think it was all part of that second wave of feminism that opened up women's equality. It's a feminist milestone. We have a female vice president because welcome, of Chippendales. Kamala. Right, Toby? It's because of Chippendales. Like directly. <laughs> yeah. It's a direct line you can draw, yes or no. You go, girl. <laughs> yeah. I love how men think that because of them. It's because of them that we have women's liberation. And the and the what did the one guy say that if it weren't for Chippendales, you little lady radio producer sitting across from me doing this interview? Bruce pointed at my producer Christine and said Chippendales was the reason she could wear pants. You couldn't wear pants to work. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck, man! One of my favorite moments in the podcast, which we'll talk about, is when one of the major characters. It's like he's so important at Chippendales because he knows what women want. He's like the women whisperer. And then you talk to actual women. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? He doesn't know anything about what women want. It's pretty classic. All right. So, Laura, this is a very close up story. And it's told through the lens of Natalia, who introduces herself at the beginning as a, yes, certified fitness instructor, but also a historian who's obviously been researching this for a long time. But it's also like an up-close look at a thing where you kind of feel like you know how it smells the whole time you're listening to it. Wait, what do you mean you know how it smells? I just feel like it's Dracar Noir at like 100% coming at me (laughs) the entire time listening to this podcast. Laura, does it feel voyeuristic listening to Welcome to Your Fantasy? Well, it did to me because I think this is something that I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always curious, like, what goes on behind the scenes in a strip club, especially a male strip (laughs) club. And, I mean, we are hearing all about it right down to, you know, the guy who the lady was like, I'll give you whatever, how much money for how many lines of Coke I can do Mm, off your... Of course, Scott Marlowe, yes. Mr. It was cock. (laughs) I'll say it so you don't have to. It was in the podcast. She followed me into into the, the staircase and... She said to me, I'll give you $100 for every inch of cocaine I could snort off your cock. But I think just hearing the behind the scenes tour bus, we've got Candace, the manager, who's basically like, yeah, of course, you know, I was a good looking young woman. They were good looking guys. What do you think we did? So everything that you want to know the dirty details of, we hear about. It's kind of like strangely addictive and fascinating in a way that I felt like, should I be listening to this? But I am because I want to know what else is going on there. Debbie, but there's really is like a historical look, like just at a, a point in time that's framing this that I don't think gets lost here. I mean, yes, 
There's a story at the center of it. It's set up right at the beginning. Great scene setting and a great thing that we know happens, which is an actual murder. But this really is done with the care and details of a fact-checking team, a real historical context team. What do you just think of the of that that framing and the presentation of it? Because I know that you're very interested in the, um, shall we say, feuds among subculture genre <laughs> that actually right. has real history in it. Like, what do you think of how they're delivering that here? Well, I think it's very evocative of the time. I mean, you get a lot of details and then actually uh, some tape, too. That is just very late 70s, early 80s. So you get Donahue having a conversation between Chippendale's dancers and the women in his audience, including one who's sure that, you know, they're going to hell because they're sinning. And when Jesus comes back, he will not be happy with what you're doing. Yeah, Jesus is going to be pissed. (laughs) Um, We're talking about lust of the flesh here. So, so, well, we certainly are talking about lust of the flesh. Jesus said, even if we think uh, of uh, committing adultery, yeah. it's the same as doing it. Yeah, so it's that. They, you know, they talk about the guy Nick Denoy and how he, like, had created these weird, like, children's shows. And I think, was it, Unicorn something or other? Unicorn City or Unicorn Town? or yeah. Unicorn yeah. Tales. Unicorn Tales. Tales, yeah. Um, yeah Which, by so the way, that was sounded like, freaking awesome to me. Yeah. I don't know. Well, do you, well I, you know, that was a time when it was like... I mean, I don't know. Did you guys see Wonderama when yes, you were growing up with Bob McAllister? Yes. You know, it's like this sort of like strange, like on some like local TV station lot type of thing. And then we saw... Um, Laura's pretending like she had a television. No, she I, was yes. I, should, I have no idea. I've never even heard of that show. Remember the Magic <laughs> Garden? Those two hippie ladies? Who see you, see you. Yeah, with the flowers. Hope you the had a flowers. good, good time. That was the era of weird children's yeah. TV for sure. And who was the guy uh, down in Mississippi who then ended up like interviewing that kid? What was that? Remember from the Innocence Project one? Uncle Somebody? Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Wrote the egg. Uncle Fuck, yeah. So it was the time when there were like these sort of, I don't know, like kind of like <laughs> homegrown kids tv shows and apparently these were kind of even weirder than usual so anyway and watching those you could totally see where a male strip show would come from that of it's course. showbiz man it's showbiz i wish they I, leaned in a little bit more to the unicorn tales sensibility with the review but that's okay <laughs> i mean i know this is a sideline but the podcast does a good job going into sidelines so let's just do it for a second yeah unicorn tales sounded freaking awesome it was an original he like got famous songwriters and performers to write original songs and he found this like star kid performer to sing them he filmed the whole thing in new york city and just like pretended it was like a fantasy city doesn't it sound awesome it does but to go down a a whole separate rabbit hole there's a great book called sunny days which talks about sesame street and mr rogers and electric company and, and the origins of all these shows and they had really great musicians yes jazz musicians who did the music we you grow up, you think back to the music. It wasn't just because we were kids. It was excellent music. But let's get back to the dancing beef Yes. Game. So let's just start about the setup to the podcast, Kevin. All right, all because, right. Because um, we have Natalia sort of telling us who she is. Yep. We hear about a murder, and then we're just dropped into the history and origin story of Chippendales. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I like that. I mean, they set it up, of course, with the murder to kind of let you know this is a crime story. And then they go away from that. It doesn't feel like it's been dropped because sometimes they do it and it's like, hey, crime story, check. And then it kind of goes in a different direction. And it's almost like they've not woven that scene into the rest of the narrative. But I feel like everything is so strong and it's paced well. 
and going, I think, in the right direction that it, it doesn't feel like it's been left behind. But like what happens in so many of the better true crime series that we cover, it is like true crime wrapped around a larger story that has almost nothing to do with crime. I'm thinking of a lot of the CBC stuff. But this is one where, you know, you could bill it as, uh, you know, societal look, you know, whatever. But I think it's an interesting story. So it's using the peg of the crime aspect to tell the larger story. And I'm in. You know, I think that's really interesting because, you know, they sort of dropped the murder thing at the beginning. That's like one of the opening scenes of the podcast. One of the things I found myself thinking, just as somebody who thinks about how these things are constructed, is maybe, I mean, this, by the way, I'm not saying they did it wrong because I just, I I would have loved to have heard a version where we didn't know who was murdered at the beginning Mm -hmm. because only because I was. There was a murder. Yes. Yeah. Because I was, I found myself listening for cues about why it was this guy who got murdered, Nick, instead of Steve. I found myself listening for that. To be honest, I forgot who it was. Okay. The name. I I didn't. But but no, I, that would actually would have made it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Only because I just sort of thought like, I love the fact that I knew there was a murder coming, but then. To me, the backstory telling, which is detailed and long and could have been very boring, wasn't. One of the things that strikes me is that in episode two, they describe the evolution of the Chippendale show and they call it like a nonstop sensory experience. Like if you're watching a football game and the only thing that's happening is somebody running down the field and scoring a touchdown over and over and over again. That's kind of how this podcast is put together. The music behind it, the energy of Natalia's delivery, it feels like a nonstop, like, coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. It feels like all those live events we did when Toby would come on the stage. (laughs) (laughs) And women would throw their panties. Yeah. All the crying. I hear, oh, it's Toby Balls. I'd run out and get my tips, and then I'd I'd go back to the stage. (laughs) Kiss and tip, Toby Ball. All the true crime fans. Flap that wiener. (laughs) So I'll be honest, I kind of felt like I kind of lost the the train of the crime stuff. Mm. And I I thought that was kind of interesting. And it, it didn't really hurt my enjoyment of it very much. But I was kind of interested, just because it's something I've been sort of interested in lately, about how how do podcasts keep these sort of through lines going when you have all this other content you want to give in between the introduction of the subject and then when you're actually going to dive into it. And this seems to be very minimal. Like every mm. once in a while, it'll talk about a conflict between people within Chippendales or, or some kind of tension but it's not like they feel the need to refer back to it every so often so that you keep that in mind. You know, there there are times when you, I just kind of forgot that there was a crime in the middle of this, and it just seems like it's a history of Chippendales, which is interesting in and of itself. Toby, can Agreed. I just ask you yeah. a question, though? Because one of the things that strikes me, there's a whole other murder that takes up like four minutes of the podcast, the Dorothy Stratton murder, which is a right. huge story in and of itself, yep. made the national news. It actually is very much tied to this story because her boyfriend, basically his Chippendale's contribution was stolen from him. And I'm not saying directly that obviously he was probably an abuser and all the other stuff, which is why he ended up murdering her. But I agree with you. that sort of the light touch of it. Like the history is enough and that they didn't do a whole episode about the Dorothy Stratton murder. I actually found that refreshing in a way. It could have been a whole... They could have started the podcast with that, and we could have not known Mm. that there was... I mean, they could have. I mean, that's what a lesser, like, 
podcast maker would have done is what I guess I'm saying. But that's so far afield. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think you want that competing because yes. the Dorothy Stratton thing is a whole like there's a whole bunch of other issues that I think that pulls in that would detract from like the interesting stuff about Chippendales, which which I you know, I think they do really effectively. Agreed. Now, Laura, um, there's a lot of like talk about the cultural shift here. And we hear, to me, it's very interesting in the podcast that even when the show, which was just like a Wednesday night feature or whatever at this dude's totally low-end bar, it was called like, what, like Visions 2 or whatever? And the there was Round no, like, Robin? Visions. Oh, no, that was what it, it started It was like as. whatever the name of the bar was. It was like Blank 2. <laughs> there was no other. And there was no one. one. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that was just to sort of set up the idea that like, I have many clubs, so this one is number two. I don't <laughs> the know. The first one must have been so great they had opened a new one. Like, I want to know like what his... But his gas station was named, was it like Mobile 2? It's, <laughs> Mobile 1? It's like Mr. The, Mike's 4? The New Old Asia. Thumping, pumping. Toby, exactly. do you remember that? What? Do you remember that Chinese restaurant on Route 4 and it was like the New, the old, new old Asia? <laughs> it was like the New Asia and then it was the New Old Asia. <laughs> and it sounded like it was part of an enterprise. Anyway... But even on night one, women showed up because this was a moment just in time, like perfectly timed, where like men have been doing this forever and like women are psyched to show up yeah. to watch men take off their clothes, even if the show is super shitty. What do you think about that? I mean, it was entertaining to listen to just the excitement that these women had. I mean, there was that one woman who's like, I'm leaving my husband and I'm on the road or whatever. I mean, she was just like, I may never go home. I mean, you know, you think about this sort of double standard that's existed forever, it seems like at that point where it's like men are able to go do these type of things. And it's, you know, sometimes accepted, sometimes not. But just it was like the women going was very liberating in terms of listening to them describe what it was like to be there. Are you excited about the idea of men uh, taking their clothes off? Excited! Oh! And hop! I think it's great! I might just kick my husband out. And, and like hearing that description of the line was crazy. I mean, it's like now when you go driving down the road and there's like a house on the market and there's an open house because there's no inventory, there's like cars everywhere. I mean, it was the same sort of description unless... But I thought, oh yeah, this- real estate male stripper, same thing, Laura. <laughs> same thing. Maybe, maybe the people at your age. It is to me. Did you not Our see age. the Zillow SNL? I saw the Zillow skit. Oh, yes, that yes, struck I did. so close to home for me. That <laughs> yes. that is my porn. That is my porn. So that's I was kind of thinking of that. But you know, then you have the woman that shows up who was like the lawyer, and she's like, "I'm going to go check this out." And they're like, oh, we like the looks of you. You can cut the line. So it, they were still curating it, even though everybody was invited. It was it was interesting to hear how they were just picking people out of the crowd, men and women, to you know include them in this. It's interesting about the gender dynamics, though. And I guess maybe now we're talking about Chippendales and not necessarily the podcast, but indulge me. The Chip podcast is about Chippendales. It is. No, it's okay. It is. Just let's talk about fucking okay, Chippendales. Okay. Let's do it. Well, you know, it's kind of... The guys think anyway, oh, we're switching the gender dynamics and now, you know, it's power to the women and the guy is the objectification or, or whatever. But even though you, you switch roles, you don't switch the power dynamic, right? Because you can have a guy go up and, and let women scream at him and pull their clothes off, but nothing is ever going to happen to the guy yes. that he doesn't want, right? Except if for that you, one story we hear about in the podcast. No, well, you know. <laughs> but if you can imagine a female exotic dancer in a room filled with screaming men, and by the way, if you've ever been to a strip club, 
it's not like in the movies where guys are screaming Nobody's and throwing. Screaming. No, you know no, why? None of them are J Lo. None of them are J Lo. No, let's none be real. J Lo. <laughs> if you got up and you started screaming at a security, would bounce you right up. If you're at a reputable strip club, of course. But if a female exotic dancer went up and let guys start pulling the clothes off of them, you would be looking at it thinking something bad is going to happen to that woman. Men are not going to behave well. And that's because of the power dynamic. Yeah. Because it's the patriarchy and the power and everything like that. So it can, it's never the converse of the conventional strip club. It's not like, well, we're just going to take guys and put them here and put women here. And it's just, it's not going to be the converse. Toby, you also sent me some notes about gender dynamics. I'd love to know your thoughts about how the podcast handles that because. I think that is an enormous theme in the podcast. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, well, there's, there's a bunch of different things. I mean, one of the things that struck me was the the perfect man yeah. thing they did. <laughs> I am like Dr. Frankenstein, and I'm going to create the perfect man by getting the best arms from this guy and the best legs from this guy and the best chest from this guy. And I'm going to put them all together, and we're going to hit him, zap him with electricity, and he's going to be the perfect man. da 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 you know, if you picture that with a woman, you're like, I'm going to take this one's breaths, and I'm going to take this one's ass, I'm going to take this one's legs and stuff. And it would just seem like super misogynistic. You yeah. know, it wouldn't so, seem like that. It would be super misogynistic. Yeah, right. So, so it's just, I mean, it's just kind of interesting that I, I, you know, I don't know if I have a whole lot of insight as to why that is, but it doesn't seem really dehumanizing when it's men i mean it seems like kind of like a jokey kind of corny thing in a way that it absolutely would not if it was women and i think that and that's that's kind of interesting and then it's just the the way they talk the the, the chippendales guys talk about like what a fucking great time they had and they're doing drugs and you know having sex three times a night with like 500 different women and and all this stuff and again it's just like you know, it's hard to imagine that kind of thing coming from a woman who's who's in that same industry. Like the the reaction would be different. So I mean, but but we do hear about some consequences though, right? Because right, we yeah. hear Scott Marlowe, one of the dancers, talk about how it basically desensitized him and made him unable to love and like he's like inexorably damaged. Is he though? That's what I heard I him mean, saying. After after you've slept with three, four, five hundred women. There, there was no piece of, uh, of, of, of female that I hadn't seen, done, or was, was excited by anymore. And it scared me. It frightened me because now right. fucking what? I mean, he, what, you don't believe he, him? Well, okay. He has to speak his truth. And certainly if you were talking about a 60-year-old former female exotic dancer, I would be willing to believe that that is her truth. I just feel like... I don't know, for a guy, again, just because of the power dynamics and of it, yeah, maybe you did too many drugs and you didn't have healthy sexual relationships, but I feel like for you, dude, that to blame whatever unhappiness or maladjusted social etiquette you have on Chippendales, your time in Chippendales, and that they let you go, I don't know. I'm a little more empathetic than you because I've been thinking about a lot about male consent this year yeah. in the wake of Bridgerton and Wonder Woman and all those conversations. I think a young man can be fucked up by a okay. bad experience where he learns nothing about healthy relationships. I think that's and it's not only possible. I know that it happens. I think that's what he was trying to tell us. Okay. Maybe he wasn't the most eloquent like deliverer. I think they're message. like rock stars though, right? I mean yeah. they, they kind of live yeah. the rock and roll lifestyle and, and with the same consequences. I mean yeah. I mean, people who don't make it big in rock and roll, it's like you get to be forty years old and then what, you know? 
What's going on? Lara Bricker, you love fitness. You love <laughs> fitness classes. I know you have like a fancy uh, bike with like videos or treadmill with videos. You love interactive fitness where mm-hmm. you watch things. I do. Um, were you tempted <laughs> at all to work out to this Chippendale exercise video that we are treated to in this podcast? Um, well, maybe not work out like you're thinking, but um... <laughs> <laughs> maybe you call that a cool down. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> but can we please just hear a little bit more muscle motion? Because I kind of love it. Here's the cool down stretch. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but that didn't cool me off at all. The part that I loved about that also was like this gym teacher somewhere that thought that that was like an okay <laughs> t- tape to play for the kids. Hey, hey, kids, it's exercise time at school. <laughs> like, you know, that's one of those Midwestern towns where they have an ordinance against dancing. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm telling you today, if a gym teacher played that in oh, our t- local high school, you'd be fucking gone in a second. I, yeah. I just I just want to like just get to one more thing, because I think there's another aspect to this story that to me is very interesting. And it's just like the business part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Because you have Steve and Nick who are rivals. Steve, we know, is a hustler. He moved to America. He, like, borrowed money from a friend to open gas stations during the gas shortage and just, like, raked it in. But he always wanted to be like Hugh Hefner, so he opened this nightclub. And he had all these interesting ideas, like, you know, all the what, backgammon and, like, all the shit that was popular in Los Angeles at that time. <laughs> and then he started this thing and, you know, whatever. But he thought kind of small, I mean, he thought big, but small, right? And then you bring in Nick, who's like just wired to think huge. And there's this conflict between the person who thinks to scale. I mean, Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I kept thinking about? Our podcast business versus like our friends' podcast mm-hmm. businesses, which are now like juggernauts, and you and me are just like, this is okay. We're just like in our basement. <laughs> it seems cool, and there are other people doing what we do, like raking it in. Like I just thought, like there is a business story here about the thinking and the conflict that can create. I mean, yeah. Toby, did you hear that too? Like it's like when Facebook buys something and turns it into a $10 billion thing instead of a $500 million thing. You know what I mean? Right. You know, one guy has the basic idea and the other guy knows how to make it good. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess I just kind of feel like that is exactly the kind of business where if you have two people being partners on it, it's probably not going to go well given like the lifestyle and just all the freaking variables. Like it seems like you add drugs to the mix and it's just not going to be a good scene. So yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, there's this thing uh, without getting too much into it about the uh, the napkin deal. Is oh that my what they God. Call it? And the, the guy- fact that a deal could be made on a napkin for real is insane. Yeah. And then and it, the whole thing hinges on the fact that uh, one of them doesn't know what the word perpetuity means. Yes. So he's like, <laughs> uh, whatever, I'll sign it. And the guy's like, yeah, okay. Perpetuity means forever. Like- you just signed it away forever. And he's like, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. Can I get that napkin back? It's just this weird thing. There's a lot of money at stake. And at the same time, it's like amateur hour. It's like, yes. dude's not like knowing the meaning of words when they're putting yes. their, their signature on a line. So 
Lara, I would just want to ask you quickly about Candace. Yes. Who's really the, I mean, we have our host, Natalia, but Candace is really only the woman voice we've heard in this podcast, aside from the many screaming women we've heard in this podcast. And she was an investment banker slash lawyer who basically just went to a show because of circumstance and knew there was a thing and ended up like becoming part of the business. But she's also like our woman guide through this world. I just want to know, Natalia tells us her whole apartment is magenta. It's filled (laughs) with tchotchkes and like inspirational sayings and also Ayn Rand memorabilia, which is fucking weird. (laughs) Like, what do you think of just Candace as our like concierge as a woman telling us about this? I found her completely fascinating. Yeah, I I found her fascinating, too. And I think it's really interesting. You know, her background, she comes into this from this lawyer banker background, this professional life. And she completely converts into the Chippendales lifestyle to the point that today it sounds like she's still immersed in it with I I believe she had some posters up of some of the men as well around her apartment. She was good because she really had that behind the scenes access and she was very forthcoming and she had some very interesting stories. But I thought it was interesting when you were talking about the gender roles before that, you know, you do have this woman there behind the scenes who's really kind of like the den mother in a way um, <laughs> of all these men making sure they're getting she's their the, she's the woman whisperer yeah making sure their tans are done and I don't know whatever else was going on but I thought she was really interesting and I I just thought it was interesting that today she still seems to be sort of living vicariously you know hearkening back to this Chippendales time Kevin, I did love how she said that Nick would make her go find out what all the women want in the bathroom. She would yeah. go into the bathroom and just fix her hair and then come out and say what she thought and say it was all the women. It felt familiar to me. Like, I do that shit to you exactly all the time. that's exactly how you do shit. Yes, true, yes. true. So I have one final question. Not my first rodeo, LaVoy. I have one final question for Toby and Kevin before we wrap up and do our review, okay? Yes. We heard about how the show was vastly improved, right? Yeah. By creating these, like, Chippendales characters. We had, like, the stripper astronaut, the unknown stripper, the cowboy, the guy who came out and just, like, fucked a motorcycle, (laughs) the guy in the suit. (laughs) I want to know for each of you, like, if you had to be a Chippendales dancer, (laughs) what your character would be when you came out on stage. Kevin, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, since they already took the unknown stripper with the bag on the head, I'd be, like... um, the baseball stripper and I would have like a big baseball mitt yeah. to cover home plate, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Toby? What would your character out on stage ball be two. for all the showmanship? Well, I think I got to be on, you know, on brand, right? So it'd be like yeah. sort of the skeptical stripper who's not sure he wants to be there or not totally buying what he's up cynicism. to. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's hey, let wait. our listeners I know. I want to talk what? about my stripper if I was a oh, male stripper. Oh. Okay. If you were a male right. stripper, Laura Bricker, what would you be? Um, I would be the cowboy stripper with some chops with the yeah. uh, buttocks showing and a lasso. Real question, though. Where do the buttocks begin and where do they end? <laughs> yes. There was a philosophical question yeah. posed yeah. in the podcast that we did not get answers to. I'm yeah. hoping in later episodes we will, in fact, find out where the buttocks begin. Call it a physician. And where they end. All right. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out? Welcome to your fantasy. It's a brand new podcast produced by Pineapple Street Studios in association with Gimlet. It's available on all the platforms, but I will give a nod on Spotify. There is a very nice music time 
Ryan, where they have playlists. And by the way, they do have a fucking fabulous Instagram. I checked out the Instagram. You can look at Michael Rapp and all of his glory. You can watch exercise. It's great. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Welcome to Your Fantasy? Uh, I'm going big thumbs up on this. This was one of the most entertaining things we've listened to in a while. The story was very engaging. Um, it did feel, like I said, a little voyeuristic listening because we have a lot of behind the scenes access, but you know, it's a crime story. Uh, it's got so much going on. I would say absolutely. I can't wait for the next episode. Toby Ball, what do you think about Welcome to Your Fantasy? Thumbs up or thumbs down? It's interesting because it seems like, especially recently, there've been some times when we've gone on and we've been like, well, if we're three episodes in and we haven't even gotten to like the main subject of the podcast, it's like that's a strike against it. And so we really haven't gotten to the murder, right? I mean, this has all been kind of scene setting and background, but it's it's good. So it kind of just made me think, like when we have that criticism, is that really just critiquing the fact that they're not doing that great a job of Other shows are boring. setting the scene and <laughs> yeah. stuff? And it's just like, all right, let's get to the good stuff uh, because- this stuff is good stuff, even though you haven't gotten to the the crime yet. So I give it a thumbs up. I'm interested. Like, again, we haven't gotten to, you know, supposedly the central thing that happens in this. So there's there's a ways to go. It's an interesting look back at a particular point in time and, and the way some cultural things were shifting, in addition to these, like, crazy stories about these drug-fueled male strippers and their shenanigans. Kevin Flynn, what about you? What do you think about Welcome to Your Fantasy? Yeah, I'm easily a thumbs up for this. You know, some podcasts fail from the beginning because they pick a story that is not intrinsically interesting. And then maybe you can tell a bad story in an interesting way that makes it compelling. But some also fail at that. This is both an interesting story to start with. There's some good source material here. And it's told really well. I love the pacing. I really dig the host, as Lara said, her enthusiasm her for vibe. it. Yeah, I think it's really good. She's a historian who now has to explain to all her academic colleagues that she spent a year researching Chippendales. <laughs> Rock on, sister. Uh, I think for those who've already listened to the first episode, we can tell you that the next two are really great and we're looking forward to the rest. Yeah, I'm going to say episode two of this podcast is one of the best single episodes of a podcast I've heard in a long time. I have another comment to make about another episode I've heard recently of a different podcast that we're talking about next week that's also one of the best single episodes. Mm -hmm. That counts to me. When you hear something that you know is like an achievement in terms of how it's put together, I also just have a lot of questions about how this was made. I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but it sounds like this was a thing that was being made and then got sort of picked up and turned another thing. If I have any complaints about this podcast, it's something that I know is impossible to do because it's about money. I would have loved it if there was an actual disco soundtrack to this podcast, like Donna Summer. Oh, yeah. Like, But I know that's impossible. I know that it costs $10 million, and I know that on Spotify you can just get the playlist. But it was just the energy. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
we've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Of it was so so good. The storytelling is good. The writing is so strong. And you know, we talk about writing a lot on this podcast, which I think a lot of our listeners probably think is in the weeds and boring. But when writing is good, you know it's good. And this podcast has it, and it's just beautifully put together. And welcome back, Gimlet. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Gimlet touched this at all, but it's an association with them. So good for you guys. <laughs> where were you? Where you been? <laughs> welcome to your fantasy. Definitely check it out. Big thumbs up for me. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. (laughs) What are we talking about in the business section today, Kevin? Okay, we want to tell folks, just remind everybody again that uh, Charlie Project Podcast-a-thon is going to go live uh, all day on February 20th. We'll be on 7.30 p.m. Be sure to tune in. We also have now on Patreon a couple of things coming up. How do people get to our Patreon and support us there to get these things? Well, like we say at the beginning of every podcast for the last five fucking years. (laughs) No, we've been doing Patreon for five years. It's patreon.com slash partners partners in crime crime media. And there you get a whole bunch of stuff, including this week's CW After Show, where we are going to talk about our personal experiences with Chippendales and strip clubs. Yes, I've got a story. And and Laura's air fryer as well. <laughs> I'm the latest. Which is basically her personal strip club. Let's be real. <laughs> she just sits there watching it, throwing yeah. dollars at I, I it. I do, I do. It's like Ken came in. He's like, "This is worse than you watching the birds." Because I'm like, yeah. Ken, look what's happening now. And he's like, "Oh my God, step away from the air fryer." Yeah, it is the moist maker. Um, <laughs> I hate that word. Oh. <laughs> on the latest Mary with podcast, uh, we just did a live recording on video. I had so folks good. from Patreon come on in and ask some of the questions and also give their advice. Uh, we have, among other things, fears about a college-bound child bound to stay in his dorm with his online friends. And a listener not in a rush to get engaged, but really, really wants an engagement ring. You go, girl. You just go ahead and get that. Coming up this week, Toby is recording a new deep dive book club. It's going to happen on Tuesday. The book is called The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. Now, the audio podcast will be out to all patrons shortly. But for those of us in the CWO Nation sponsor level... How much is that? That's $25 a month. All right. You can be a sponsor whose, whose name is listed in the podcast. They also get to watch the podcast. And if they want, they can take part by putting questions in the chat or coming on the video screen and asking questions. Toby, tell us about who's coming up in your um, panel for The Five. So first of all, I want to let people know it's going to be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Time, because one of the people who's on it is Claire Clark, who's been on Mm. before. She's from Trinity College, Dublin. 
Ah. Um, and you probably remember her if you've been listening to the deep dive. Uh, she was on the Say Nothing episode, and then she's right. done other ones since then. Uh, that was her first. And then uh, Lauren Bright Pacheco ah. from Northern yes. Oregon and yep. a whole bunch of other good podcasts. And she's been on before as well. So excellent guests. And uh, The Five is actually a really awesome book. It's really interesting. It's more true crime adjacent, I would say. It's sort of a history book. But um, it's about the life stories of the women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. And mm. uh, incredible detail about the lives of these women living in Victorian England. So it's like the Lost Girls, but about Jack the Ripper. Sounds like, Sounds like a- it's interesting you say that because that, that was one of the things I was thinking about while I was reading it. Is that it is sort of that same sort of women really living on the margins and, and their vulnerability because of it. Mm. Also, want to let people know that if they haven't already, they should sign up for. Our- Crime Writers on newsletter. Oh, it's yes. very easy to do. You're going to get it every Monday, and it's going to have sort of a reminder that we're out and a rundown of what's on, but a couple of other things as well, including our CWO BTS behind the scenes. Oh. And I've moved up, just to make it easier, I've moved up the subscription link to the top of our website. So if you haven't already signed up, go to uh, crimewriterson.com. You'll see it right at the uh, top. Just put your email in, and we promise we will only sell your information to aluminum siding salesmen. <laughs> Kevin, I have a quick question for you, though. I have a question about the Patreon. Yeah. Because we did this live Mary with podcast, and we did it in video. We could interact with people. And it was banging. It was yeah. awesome. Like, if you sign, this is actually a real question that I don't know the answer to. If you sign up for our Patreon now, can you watch the thing now? You can go back and see the recordings oh, of the videos. I yes. really want you guys to see because our listeners are just amazing. And if you don't want to watch the video, you will still get the podcast in your feed. Yeah. Tell me what we were going to say. Oh, I was just, I was kind of wondering what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> What could that possibly be? But uh, all right, so Toby doesn't listen to this podcast. Really thinking he's going to subscribe to our no, fucking newsletter. I, I get. Hey, man, I get it. I just subscribed last week. I'm very excited. I, I got it in my inbox, and I was like, now I know what's happening. Now I know what's being said yes. about me. Kevin's <laughs> learning all of the best practices of newsletter stewardship, and he is putting them into practice now. Kevin, before we get back to the show, and we're talking about Patreon right now, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Austin Wolfolk and Amy Delagula. Bless you. Bless you guys. All right. Thanks you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. And mostly everyone who doesn't, who still listens to the business section. Should I fade out that music now? Fade it out. Moving on. She said, we're going to make a prototype. We're going to have it test driven. And we're going to show the world that we are contenders. In the middle of the 1970s gas crisis, L.A. entrepreneur Liz Carmichael unveiled her vehicle of the future, a low-cost, high-efficiency, three-wheeled car called The Dale. While the company was making millions of dollars pre-selling, the media grew suspicious of the car's design. My automobile will be the safest in the world. I've driven one of the prototypes into a solid concrete wall at 30, 40, and 50 miles an hour. And there was only superficial damage to the front. The story exploded when it was learned that Liz had lived the first part of her life as Jerry Dean Michael, a notorious counterfeiter and con man who traveled the country to stay one step ahead of the cops and the mob. The federal grand jury on August 30th, 1961, returned an indictment charging Jerry Dean Michael with conspiracy and possession of counterfeit currency. 
On September 18, 1961, the subject failed to appear in U.S. District Court in Los Angeles for arraignment and plea to the indictment. A search of Jerry Dean Michaels' home disclosed a large number of library books dealing with various phases of criminal law. The subject was intent upon following a criminal career and would probably not be easy to locate. The HBO documentary, The Lady in the Dale, is the latest in the trend of whimsical con artist exploits. It also tackles issues around transgender acceptance in the media and justice system. With archival footage and inventive photo collage animation, The Lady in the Dale tells the story of a sweeping automotive scam and the incredible life of its mastermind. Now, the fourth and final episode of Lady in the Dale aired last night as of the dropping of this podcast. But as of our taping, we've only seen the first three episodes. So if you want to remain spoiler free for the Lady in the Dale, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. For real, Kevin, how the fuck have I never heard of this story before? Have you? I haven't. But that's why, you know, again, to piggyback off of our last review, What makes for great documentaries, great podcasts, are great stories, especially ones that we haven't heard of or heard the angles of. So while this apparently is a, you know, a big California story, or at least for, you know, for that time period and in the automotive industry, yeah, a lot of us haven't heard it. This happened 40 something years ago. Now, Toby, the first episode of Lady in the Dale, very quickly and efficiently is basically like the Frank Abagnale story told Mm. in Catch Me If You Can. I found myself completely stunned by what our protagonist, all of the cons at the time living as a man, was able to pull off from owning newspapers and printing money to convincing people to flood their basements and breed tropical fish. Basically, everything you can possibly imagine. And inventing devices, And also marrying and divorcing a bunch of people and having a bunch of kids with a bunch of people. Toby, what did you just think of sort of just like the speed and efficiency with which we learned all of these details before Jerry became Liz? And let me just say in the documentary, because the transgender theme is actually a huge part of the documentary and it's kind of about that, the filmmakers and the people in the film do sometimes misgender Liz as he when she was living as a man beforehand. And so when we do that, we're reflecting the plot of the documentary. We understand. Using male pronouns in the chronological time when he. Liz was clearly transgender. So just FYI, in case you think we're misgendering it, we're following the documentary. So, Toby, what did you think of all of that incredibly efficient, fast storytelling around this life of con menness? Yeah, well, I mean, it it could almost be just like a standalone. Like there's a whole life of conning that happens before, you know, she gets to Los Angeles and and then, you know, the big one of the things that's unclear if it's a con or not uh, with the car. I, I thought it was. It was you think super- it's unclear if it's a con or not with the car? <laughs> well, we should talk about that. But um, it's not clear. To, I guess it's not clear to some people that it is. Mm. Yeah, I thought I thought it was good. I mean, it, it's a crazy story. You know, you do sometimes get kind of, or at least I do. I find myself kind of getting wrapped up in just sort of the charisma and the oddness of these con men. And, you know, there is a thing that they, they don't really get into very much in this either. But, you know, there, there's this sort of trail of people who get conned. It's not like he was pulling this off against super rich people. I mean, these cons that he was he was doing were, were pretty low key, like taking money from people who probably didn't have a whole lot of money. And again, I'm saying he because at the time she was Jerry. But 
they don't really spend any time on that. It's mostly just following this family around. They pull off a con, uh, hop in a car. At one point, they live in, what, seven places in one year because yeah. they're mm-hmm. staying yeah. like one step ahead. And it's like cheaper than rent if you just keep moving and all this stuff. But anyway, it was good. I thought it was really interesting. Charles, the brother who... Uh, brother-in-law. The brother-in-law, yeah. yes, who was talking about his sister marrying Jerry. It was Vivian. Jerry at the time. Yep. And Jerry had had a bunch of wives before this. And for some reason, Vivian was like in. She's like, I'll, I'll totally do these fucking cons with you. Like, I live with my parents my whole life. Whatever. We'll kite checks. We'll scam tropical fish people. Let's just do it. But, Laura, it really is centered, this whole documentary, around this car scheme, which in some ways is almost impossible to not equate with, like, Tesla in some ways. Because it's like the promise of a car that will change everything, you know. And we get the amazing opening scene of the car being given away as a a prize on The Price is Right. (laughs) That was awesome. A three-wheeled car. It's the Dale, a whole new concept in automotive design. A three-wheel chassis with a high-impact plastic-resistant rosin body. Top speed of 85 miles per hour. For comfort and economy, it's the Dale by 20th Century Motor Car Corporation. So what do you think of this idea that this was the ultimate con? Because I feel like it's so timely. We're still looking for technology that can solve the fuel issue of the time it was prices, but now it's the environment and can solve all our problems, but also not murder us when we happen to make a right around a corner, right? I know. Um, I just, I thought the car was such a good hook for this whole story because, you know, when you first see it and you're seeing it on the prices right and you're seeing these commercials and, you know, this is when there were the gas lines and everybody was looking for a fuel-efficient car. I mean, it seemed like the answer to everybody's prayers. And they do have that prototype that, you know, when you first see it, you're like, well, I mean, it looks like something out of like a superhero movie. I mean, you know, it's, it's very intriguing. And I could see how if you were living at that time and seeing all this promotion about this, you would get sucked into this excitement around this three-wheeled car. But I just absolutely loved when they had the test video and that poor guy, I was like, oh my God, he's like scraping his arm along the ground and they can't can't get the car upright. So yeah, to what Toby was saying before, where you're like, was it a scam or not? I mean, you almost come away feeling like Liz actually starts to believe that this is going to happen. Or if you're that good of a con person, you can con yourself eventually if you you say the same thing over and over again enough. But she was an inventor. We heard in her earlier life she had actually made things that worked that she was able to sell. Like, like what? Like real products. She had, remember she devised like all these systems for things and like she made the whole way of literally flooding people's basements to breed tropical fish. Like she invented things. So there is sort of like a brain there. But Kevin, I mean, really episode two, episode three of this documentary, it really pivots. And I turned my turn to you and said, is this a story about a con and a crime or is it a story about a transgender journey? And the two in this story are inexorably linked because the transphobia is linked to people's skepticism about the con, which I think adds a layer of complication to it just being a straight transgender story for like the viewer. You know what I mean? I think it does a good job of being both without having to choose one or the other. 
because while being a transgender woman has nothing to do with the actual con, it adds an interesting complexity about her life story and then about the way the justice system treats her. Yes. Uh, you know, going to a, a men's jail and the way she was she was treated. I do think, though, what, what makes it really kind of interesting for me is that Liz kind of suffered from a boy who cried wolf scenario where for years when he was living as Jerry, look, he was this incredible professional con man who, you know, married and like ran all around the country and, and, and left all these crimes behind and faked his own death yes, like to avoid the mob, literally, right? Yeah. And then the next time he turns up, It'd be easy to say, oh, he's playing Tootsie, wearing a dress and a wig or whatever. At the time, it was easy to say At the time. Well, I mean, if you're a cop, maybe the first thing you think of is he's done all these other things. It's a disguise. It's a disguise. Well, at the same time that all that other stuff was true that he did that, and in his heart, yes, he, and now she, is a criminal. She also just happened to be somebody who was transgender and was sincerely going through this. And that's a really interesting part of the story because it'd be easy to sort of let the viewer on, you know, let them lead them on thinking this is part of his scam, that he's really just a guy in a dress. But no, you really see her journey. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I mean, she had surgery and everything. That isn't just this is sincere. This is who you are. And so it, it's an interesting parallel story. They do dovetail together, but you don't have to learn just one story or the other. They work together. You know what's interesting to me about that? Because I found myself thinking about this, yeah. about being transgender, knowing you're a woman at a time where it was so marginalized and it was like a, it was like a freak show, you yeah. know? Yeah. You know, I, I, Grew up in this era. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and transgender people were seen as either freaks or sort of fun party people, or like you had you had to be a character, right? But it was definitely sort of seen that way. Completely we had neither the not understanding accepted. or the vocabulary. No, but to it really, was yeah. it was also just a lot of phobia around it. And it was terrible, mm-hmm. and I find myself wondering how much of Liz's con artist life was basically based in the discomfort in her own skin that she felt from birth. I'm not saying that being transgender makes you a criminal in any way. I am saying that at that moment, growing up in like an abusive home and all the things that were happening around Liz, mm-hmm. that... You have to deny part of yourself. You have and- to deny everything about yourself. And so why not deny... All these other things. It could be. I mean, some. Why of the not that, say you're an airline pilot when you're yeah. not? Like, why not? Like, I'm not. I'm not saying that's it's not an excuse. I'm not saying it's. It's. But I'm saying that I can imagine just try, wanting to find a life where you feel like it's your skin. That you're not able to be who you are, so you need to be something I, else. Those that are you're questions I have. Yeah. That if I could talk to Liz, I'd be like, we need to talk about this. Yeah. I have questions. But that being said, we do get a lot of the social justice issues around being trans at that time. We're introduced to an incredibly transphobic television reporter who basically makes it his life's mission to unmask what he thinks is a just a man dressing up as a woman. Lara, by the way, good catch. That's Tucker Carlson's dad. Yeah. Yeah. For real? Dick Carlson. Yeah. His name was Dick Carlson. And I wanted to like punch him in the face the entire I was getting so angry watching that. So I did a little research because I was like, who was this guy? Because on one hand, I'm like, okay. I think he was an asshole, but I also think it was really 
this window into what we were talking about that time and being transgender. But he's still an asshole. He's still an asshole. Today, talking yeah. about it now, he's still and an he's asshole. And he's outed other yeah. people. But I think it was like, you see, like, this is what Liz is dealing with at that time is this reporter who's now made it his mission, who's like, I knew something was wrong and then just becomes obsessed with her. So I looked him up and I was like, ah, yeah, Tucker Carlson's dad. And makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dick, if I'm rage walking, I'm rage walking to you. That's all I have to say about Dick. Toby, you also sent me a note about Dick, the KABC reporter. Um, but you also sent me a really interesting note about sort of comparisons, too, about Liz and Elizabeth Holmes and like how you kept thinking about Theranos when you kept seeing this car startup and everyone just going all in with no information. Can you just talk about that? Because I just thought that was a really interesting note that you sent. Well, I mean, this whole thing seems like it's it's a it's a startup before startup culture. Yeah. Right. So and and that some of the stuff that she was doing is stuff that now is maybe it's not like a hundred percent legal or ethical, but I think it's pretty accepted, which is you have an idea, you start working on it, you like put forward what you think it's gonna be. It's like fake it till you make it. And you use that to bring more money to continually improve it till it finally gets to where it is. And back then, it seems like if you needed venture capital, you know, it was the mob or like shady Japanese guys. And so there wasn't that infrastructure or the culture around it that would allow her to be anything other than like kind of an anomaly. So she did pre-sales for that, right? She got regular people to show up and make deposits. Yeah. And she has like a prototype and she's got one that she's going to, it's the same thing. It's like, don't drive it too fast. And it's just like (laughs) Elizabeth Holmes. And and don't actually test the blood in our machine, send it out to Walgreens to test it instead. Right. Yeah. And there are people in the company who, who really believe really strongly in what she's doing. And then there's people who are like, this isn't going to freaking work. And so (laughs) why do we keep going? And so I think, you know, so that was kind of hired bozos who are supposed to stand around in lab coats, like taking notes on the test drive, even though they literally have no idea what they're taking notes about. (laughs) I, I especially liked Toby, like when they come in and she's like, oh, here's your money. Just like opens the drawer. Here's some cash. Yeah. So there are two things. I thought, you know, this is the kind of book that somebody would write like a fiction book as like a commentary on Silicon Valley now, right? It's it's like highlighting some of the absurdities about it by putting it in a different cultural moment. And then the second thing was what an outsider Elizabeth was, both as a person and then as a business. Because what gets that guy Carlson after her, the way he describes it, isn't that he suspects that she is transgender, but he's like, I never heard of her. I didn't know where she came from. So that made me suspicious. So I had to get to the bottom of it. Like that had to be a fraud. And it's like, well, you're the guy who's like in charge of maintaining the status quo and the establishment. So she's like dead on when she says people don't want us to mess with Ford and GMC and stuff like that. Like people get upset about that. But it actually was a fraud. And that's yeah, the, the rub, yeah, but that, right? But that's the funny thing is, is that she's absolutely right when she says that. But at the same time, she is a fraud, you know? Yes. But he didn't know that when he first started going after it. Right. That's Kevin. That's your point about Carlson, too, right? Well, I think Dick Carlson actually was a very good investigative journalist. This was a serious fraud and he went after it. And looking back now, I can see that he twisted the knife a little too much a for little? the wrong reason. I was kind of willing to go along and say, hey, you know, 45 years ago, 
your worldview is probably very small because of what was good. But today, to look back at it and, and, and take joy in the fact that when you were called to testify that you kept purposely using male pronouns. He's proud of it. He's proud of it. So he's I'm a, like... He's a dick. Yeah, I'm like, you're a dick. Even though he knew her as a woman, like the whole time. Yeah. He's a dick. Yeah. I would periodically uh, refer to her as sir or, or some other male designation and the judge would interrupt me and say Mr. Carlson I've told you uh, twice now to stop calling Mrs. Carmichael uh, by male pronouns please refer to her as ma'am or Mrs. or something and I would say right yeah sure your honor okay of course I certainly will and then I wouldn't do it uh, because I thought it was ludicrous and I didn't think I had to I just have one question about the style of this documentary, because yeah. as we were watching it, there's oh. obviously a lot of very creative animation with like paper doll style, flat characters walking, like flat Tobies walking around the whole thing. <laughs> I started to have this theory in my brain around, this is how films have been finished during COVID. All the B-roll we would have gotten has been being replaced with animation. <laughs> Kevin and I had a little fight about it, and he's like, well, that's just not true because you think it is. And then I looked it up, and literally the director of this documentary was like, we literally had to make the, the animation because we couldn't film anything. See how she had to mention I was wrong. <laughs> but I have to say, I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> you were all right. But uh, I mean, it was kind of cute in this. And like, it's been cute in a lot of things we watched. But Laura, did you like the paper dolls walking around with the people's faces on them? Well, at first I was like, what is this nonsense? This is <laughs> absurd. This is insane. And then I have to say, as it kept going along, it sort of grew on me. It was sort of like an extended jib jab video. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a hundred percent accurate. We should have said jib jab style. Remember we were talking earlier how to describe it in the script? Yeah. Jib jab. Exactly. Photo collage yeah. animation. Like, remember the, you used to yeah. do those at Christmas and you, everybody yes. would be like, yep. like we used to. An elf. Yeah. Like the dancing. But it kind of grew on me as it went along. And I was like, I, I didn't really know what to make of it. But it, I have to say by the end of the third episode, I was I was totally behind the jib jab. I was like, Kevin, the style of animation that gets chosen, it has to fit thematically, right? Absolutely. You're right. The, the animation, ha and this is very whimsical, I think, and I think it lends a little bit to, you, can, you can't do this with a homicide, but you can do it with a con, and we've had a lot of different con stories, and that's sort of the thing. You have a very charismatic con artist, and we have one here. And to make that case, yeah, you have this really interesting animation style. Look, if there had been no pandemic, they probably would have leaned on the same old drone shots and the same old slow motion reenactments, and it's forced them to get creative. Yeah, you know, it's it was, better probably. It was. Like when Steven Spielberg's mechanical shark didn't work, they just put it so you saw the fin, and that was so much better. Yeah. And so... Sometimes when the usual stuff doesn't work, you have to get creative, and they got creative, and it really works. I've never seen anything like it. You know, Even with the sound off, I think it would be worth watching. Yeah, I have to say, the fact that it's stylized the way it is, it's supposed to be about this family doing whatever, and it used family photos like as heads. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. But even cutting out the eyes. I so know. The eyes would dart. Oh, yeah. I just keep thinking about the animation from a couple of years ago in American Vandal. It was the first time I ever saw animation done in a way that wasn't just animation for animation's sake, but animation in the style of the thing. I really feel like filmmakers are getting that now in a way that I really appreciate. And if it's necessity, great. We've seen so many things well. using animation, including, what was the thing, Heaven's Gate? Yes. We saw different animation styles, and sometimes it works really, really well. I think it's exceptional here. Yeah, the interiors for the animations are awesome. Like the house interiors and stuff, where you have all the cartoons going around. I mean, it's just, 
It's, it's very clever. It's like Blue's Clues meets Jib Jab meets a dollhouse, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing I hate more than like sort of pointless, blurry reenactments that don't add anything. So yeah. this is yeah. like kind of a breath of fresh air, quite honestly. Yeah. Well, you know what? Probably in five years, you're going to think this is the blurry reenactment that doesn't add yeah. anything. Yeah. And by the way, it's got a lot of also great archival yes. video film, actually. So much and- Liz. A lot of lit, yeah. I mean, they they had a lot to work with. Yeah, here. yeah. she was not camera shy. She was, uh, she was not-, not camera shy, and she was kind of hot. I'm just gonna put it out there. All right, let's do what we do. <laughs> let's let our listeners know: should they check out the Lady and the Dale on HBO? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this documentary? Yeah, I'm gonna go thumbs up. I mean, this was a I had never heard of this story before, and it was so unique on so many levels. It was just a very complex story. You know, we have a con artist entrepreneur, early transgender pioneer, and a family story that we didn't touch on too much of this family, like packing up and moving at the drop of a hat whenever they had to get out of town. And and it's all told with kind of a blend of humor and authenticity that, you know, especially with the family members that participated in this documentary that I really enjoyed. So it's just bizarre uh, animation thing going on, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And, you know, I think it's a story that you will not forget. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Lady and the Dale? Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I think there's a lot more to talk about than we have. I mean, I think there's there's some real interesting stuff about how Elizabeth is portrayed, because I think other people who have done similar type of things, we've really seen as sort of villainous, because I think in some ways she's noble or sort of unapologetic for making choices that were probably culturally unpopular, but which we as people sort of support. We are willing to overlook stuff that we wouldn't overlook if somebody else was doing it. So I, I think it's complicated. It's a it's a picture of a complicated person, but it's 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 really well told. I mean, Elizabeth is super compelling. The story's compelling, and then it's like it's a little bit campy too. Like that little car is about <laughs> as campy uh, campy as a <laughs> automobiles get. So um, yeah, thumbs up. I really liked it. How much would I have to pay you, Toby, to drive one of those on I ninety five between Portsmouth and <laughs> Boston? If you could just get me one, I would do it happily. <laughs> A little Kim GoPro Flynn. on my on my head. Kim Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the lady and the Dale? I'm a thumbs up. I think that this was really creative and a lot of fun. We have had several con artist type stories that we've looked at, and uh, they work when we enjoy the con artist. That they are colorful. They have interesting backstories, whether it's somebody that you kind of think is sweet and roguish, like Murph the Surf, or somebody that is very evil, like a Jeffrey Epstein. You have to have the basis for a really good story to get you to the crime. And that's what we got here. We've got a really interesting life story and a really peculiar scam. And the question really is, is how much of a scam was it? Yeah. Was the intention to rip people off or did that just happen? But in any event... I think it's visually activating in a way that we have not seen in many, many a documentary. The story in of itself is really good. We've only seen three, and by the time everybody is listening to this, the fourth will have been uh, dropped. And I hope that while you're listening to this, I'm sitting in my uh, my house happily sated by a wonderful fourth episode. On your Barca lounger. My Barca lounger, yes. Uh, I love this documentary. I'm also going to give it a thumbs up. And I actually agree with Toby. The thing that makes it singular 
is that we have a person who we are told did all of these shitty things who we are also rooting for because she's transgender in a time where that was almost impossible. And she is just doing the journey in the hardest possible way, like everyone is doing, going to Mexico, getting the surgery, like doing all the things that are, you know, are societally impossible. Uh, I just want to give a huge shout out too for the filmmakers. There are so many transgender experts in this show. Like you have the right people giving you the historical context, the right people filling you in on the backstory. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. And what it means. And that being said, as a viewer, you're also conflicted because you're like, this person also ruined their children's lives. I mean, that's what I kept thinking. The children are being chased by cops all the time. They're always on the run. I found myself at the center of that conflict, both rooting for Liz and also being like, fuck you. Look at your poor daughter who now has to be a talking head in a documentary about you. <laughs> uh, so I really like it. It's complicated. I'm probably going to be thinking about it a long time after we watch it. So big thumbs up for me for Lady and the Dale. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the week. What do you do with a skeleton of your dead uncle? You can turn it into a super shredding guitar, of course. A heavy metal musician known as Prince Midnight made his new guitar from the bones he inherited. 20 years ago, his uncle Philip died and his body was donated to a college in his native Greece. When the college recently closed, they returned the skeleton to his family. But with religious prohibitions against cremation, the family was at a loss with what to do with it. Enter Prince Midnight, who took Uncle Philip's spine, pelvis, and ribcage, then added guitar neck, pickups, and volume knobs. The musician said it's a fitting tribute to the man who got him into heavy metal in the first place. He says, quote, now Uncle Philip can shred for all eternity. So, panel, here's my question. There are still plenty of Uncle Philip's bones left over. What can we do, or maybe Prince Midnight can do, or the rest of us do, with the rest of those bones? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Uh, sounds like a perfect opportunity to make a little bone broth. Oh, God. I've heard it's really healthy. So, uh, yeah. 
Baby Yoda. <laughs> I don't think they Tribo, usually use human bones for that, though. <laughs> no, but, Toribo, what do you think we should do with the rest of poor Philip's bones? Oh, uh, you make a mini Stonehenge for the, uh, for the concert. The stage? Yeah. <laughs> a mini Stonehenge. <laughs> Very good. Kevin Flynn, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, you make a bowling alley, of course. Really? Yeah, take the bones, make some pins, and then you've got the two holes in the skull yeah. already, and you throw it down. Either that, or you take the femurs, and you line up, you like the, in the, end of uh, Return of the Jedi, the Nub Nub. Yes. We could play all that. Nub Nub. Nub. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like a, all right. like a xylophone. We should probably get on on that note. Before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Meow, meow. <laughs> that was very nice, Rebecca. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So since I haven't learned to turn on the cat filter here on Zoom, we actually have a hedgehog of the week. First Ooh. ever in history of crime First on a hedgehog. Tell us ever more. hedgehog coming to us from Dottie Winters, who is lots of fun, always has good stuff on social media. This is Gloria Spinum. She likes swimming. In- <laughs> <laughs> and here I'll show you. Oh, hold on. I just did an actual spit take a little bit. Oh, I can't. You can't see Gloria Spinum. Anyway, she likes swimming in the bath terrorizing cats and dogs, and trying to make friends with my hairbrush. She loves Crime Writers On nearly as much as she loves... Wait, trying to make friends with my hairbrush. Yeah. It's a hedgehog. I yeah. get it. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay. Wait, and here's the click. Here's the best part. She loves Crime Writers On nearly as much as she loves gross worms. Nice. Ah. Oh, <laughs> a lot of similarities. <laughs> All right. Lara Bricker of wonderful fans like Dottie, who, by the way, is a longtime fan of the show. Mm-hmm. I personally adore. Want to send their random ass animals to be cat of the week. Doesn't have to be a cat. Obs. Uh, how can they find you online, especially on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Lara Bricker. And I might post some cat videos up next week. My cat Pippin has learned how to catch. Thank God. We've all been waiting for that. Our long national nightmare is over. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and suggest what your stripper Chippendales character should be. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, You won't be able to find any cat videos on my Twitter at Toby Ball and H. And Ken Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and give you positive reinforcement for the idea of putting a catcher's mitt over your junk, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy, but I will warn you in advance, it's mostly dog content. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our amazing, wonderful group. It's really our, our first basement's mitt. Really, our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. They're wonderful. Support the show at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get all the stuff on our Patreon. The Crime Writers on After Show, where we're going to right now talk about our strip club experiences. Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Lara Bricker's investigative show, Leave It to Bricker. Our theme song was composed and performed by the genius Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and collegiate Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this podcast is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin Flynn dances around to the 1978 disco hit, Push, push in the bush. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you in the bush later. Later. Hello. Hi, Laura. How's it going? Good. This is the earliest we've been for our own podcast ever. (laughs) 
Kevin and I were down here at like nine minutes before eight, and it felt like you had to record something. What do we even do? Like, what do we do with all this time? I'm like, oh, maybe I'll look at the script in advance for a change. That would be good. <laughs> We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.